Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. Home is what you make it, part three, uh, the last message in our series on the family. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. The last part has been our text, and so it says, and it's very familiar to us. It says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And we've been talking about this. This is a great declaration. It's harder to actually do. It's great to say it is actually a little bit harder to live out. And so we've been talking about home is what you make it. Home is a combination of what you create and what you allow. Your home is your home. And we think we have no control over it, but the truth of the matter is that we do have some control. And we are a contributor to the atmosphere of our home. We learned this a couple weeks ago that you're either a thermostat or you're a thermometer. You either read the temperature, yep, it's bad. Or you're a thermostat, you set the temperature. And I believe that God wants to initiate in families people who set the temperature. That we're not just going to read, we got a bad situation. We're actually going to set into motion what God has for our lives. Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. You should have this scripture memorized by now. We've been reading it every week. And it basically is this, and this is the thesis of everything that we've been talking about in this series. If God is the master architect, if he's the builder, if he's the project manager, if he is the guy in charge, if he's the man that is taking care and building your house, then your labor will not be in vain. If on the other side, for some reason, he is not the builder of your home, then your labor, according to this scripture, is in vain. And I know none of us wants our labor to be in vain, but the antidote to that is to actually make Jesus the Lord of your life, to make him the architect of your house, to make him the builder of your home. And when we do that, we can actually create and make the home that God has put in our heart to have. Now, I'm going to tell you this. We're going to move quickly today, and we're going to cover a lot of ground, and I'm actually going to skip over a lot in our text that we're going to come back later in the year, and I'm going to do an entire series on. But today, I need to give you this as the last installment of this series, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read to you an entire portion of Scripture, which at the end of it, I'm going to be totally honest with you, we can say amen and go home. It, it, it's that powerful. It is that full of truth and full of life. And so I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll unpack it together. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, Love must be sincere. There's a period there. We could probably just stop right there. And just like, amen. Thank you, pastor, for the word. Uh, Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. I love that. Never, 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 not once, ever be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Well, that church is passionate. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. 
Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's crazy. God wants his will is for us to live at peace with everyone. People that we're at odds with, people that we say we'd never forgive or we would never get over. He says live at peace Do whatever it is for you, as far as it depends on you, to live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See what I mean? We could just read that right now. We've all been built up, inspired, and convicted, and we could go home. Uh, Growing up, my parents, they they were really big about us following biblical models and learning the Word of God. This is something that was a part of our upbringing, is that we would memorize Scripture. Now, in today's day and age, uh, it's a little bit outdated for people to do this, but I still believe in the word that says that when David prayed, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. He says to keep me from sin, what I need to do is I need to hide the word of God in my heart. So when we were little, my parents, we have five of us kids, they had us memorize this entire portion of scripture. And I'd almost forgotten about it until I was getting ready to preach, and I was telling Jamie uh, about this passage a couple nights ago, and I'm like, man, this passage is so convicting. I was telling her, I think I'm going to do an entire series on this passage because there's so much there. And I started telling her what the scripture said, and I started rattling off by memory the entire passage. And I, I, just, it just, I just realized that I, I never lost it. Something that I memorized as a child stayed in my heart and in my mind. And as I went to recite it, it just came out of me. Can I just tell you, when you're going to make your home, this is something that's really important, that you build it on biblical principles. And not only just on biblical principles principles that you've heard about, but that you memorize and you lock in your heart the Word of God. We've had these bricks up every week, and just as an illustration, talking about the home that we build. And I'm going to give you today some building blocks, some key building blocks that I believe will help you make and create the home that you want to have. And I believe there are tons of them packed into this scripture. I really feel like we have a problem in our culture deviating from biblical principle at the mercy of cultural acceptance. Let me say it a different way, is that we're so obsessed with cultural acceptance that we have compromised the validity, the truth, and the power of the Word of God. Do you know one of the greatest attacks of the enemy right now in our universities is attacking the validity of the Word of God? If we don't know it's true, everything in the Christian faith begins to be shaky. Everything hinges on this Word being accurate, being right, being true. And so there is an attack of the enemy on the validity of the Word of God. But I'm going to declare to you today as believers... It is imperative that our lives are not built on what is culturally acceptable or popular, but on what is written in the Word. There are some scriptures that are difficult to interpret. 
I understand that. The Old Testament is hard at, at times to understand. If you don't study it, if you don't know the totality of Scripture, there are things that are difficult to try to wrap your mind around. But there are some things that are crystal clear. And what I find with most believers is that we get on Facebook and we debate the ones that no one understands. And we abandon the ones that everyone understands. I'll help you out with this first one. Love must be sincere. Nobody's debating it. Nobody's talking about it. This is funny. Last week, I was making fun of people on Facebook arguing theology. While someone was on our live stream arguing theology, saying something about it wasn't, something I said wasn't the truth or whatever. I'm like, my, my point exactly. And if you're watching today, God bless you. And um, send, me, send me an email, chris at church1132.com. I'm teased. I love we, we've lost the value of the things that are crystal clear. Love must be sincere. This is the building block of the family. This is the foundation of the home, is that love must be sincere. But in order to love, we cannot fall into a cultural understanding of what love is. We have to also understand or adhere to what the Bible says that love is. So we're going to go to one of the most popular love scriptures in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter. I know you knew it. Probably had it read at your wedding. It is the definition of love, and we've said it so many times we've lost its value. But I want you to hear what the Bible says love is. It says love, in verse 4, is patient. Love is, so wait a second. That means anytime I'm impatient, I'm not loving? Yeah, yeah, that's black and white, that's right. Well, in the original language, nope, still patient. Love is kind. Well, I'm just kind of have a brash personality, and you're not loving. Right? Am I, am I interpreting the scripture incorrectly? I know this is not types and shadows and symbols, it's, it's pretty, pretty clear, but I'm just, I'm just help me. It, it, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. So even in your speaking the truth in love, if it dishonors others, is it love? It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Well, I just got a short temper. It's not loving. It's not easily Angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Well, back in 1995, you... No, that's not love. That's not love. Well, I'm not going to let him off the hook with it. That's not love. Jesus lets you off the hook. He, he, he doesn't bring up every time that you backslid and every time you walked out of church and every time you held up. He doesn't bring that up every time you come into worship. But some people can't even come into their home without being reminded of the mistakes they've made in the past. That's not love. It says love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, and it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Scriptures continue on, and then it ends with love never fails. 
That's what love is. That's the biblical definition of what love is. And so if we're going to make the home what we want it to be, we've got to build out the right thing. And the thing that we've got to build it out of is not a cultural understanding of love because that love comes with a price tag. That love is conditional love. That love is, I will love you so much if. I'll be the best husband to you if you. I love you because you make me feel this way. I love you because you treat me this way. Whenever you love because or love, uh, love and it has a price tag, what you're switching out of is you're switching out of love and into need. And so what you're saying is love is actually I need you. And whenever you need someone to fill a need that can only be met by God, then that is called codependency. And that's why most relationships struggle and fall and eventually fail is because we're not looking to God to have the needs met that we need to have met. Most of the problems in relationships are that they are self-seeking instead of sincerely loving. In our relationships, this is the tendency and this is the temptation that I'm going to be in a relationship that's good for me. I want my son to make me feel this way. I want my wife to make me feel this way. But that is self-seeking and that is the opposite of what love is. Love is, I love you, so what can I do for you? How can I build you? How can I treat you right? How can I encourage and build up you? I remember growing up, my parents, um, they, they were amazing parents. We've been talking about in the last couple of weeks, but they were very strict. And we had, lived in a home that was like really, really high standards. Like we barely watched movies. And if we watched movies, you know, it's like ones that maybe you probably never even heard of or like Bambi. And Bambi was questionable because of the violence. You know, I didn't, didn't mean to spoil it if no one's never seen it. Um, it's, that's what we watched. So some people in the church came to us when Beauty and the Beast, the original cartoon, came out in Disney. And they said, oh, you've got to take your kids to Beauty and the Beast. It's amazing. And my mom was like, well, is, is it clean? And Oh, it is clean, Becca. I mean, there is just not a thing in that. Beauty and the Beast, it's amazing. And she says, all right. She's like, kids, we're going to go to Beauty and the Beast. Now, to go to a theater was a huge thing because they didn't play things we could watch. So G rating was not, that wasn't like, sufficient for us we we had like a mom and dad rating g was like that didn't mean anything it's like it could have something still that they didn't want us to see or watch. so this one they said we're going to the theater so i settle in my seat we're watching the previews i'm seeing previews of movies i never even heard about i'm like this is amazing eat my popcorn beauty and the beast starts the opening scene even before like the the title comes up is this rose you ever seen this and there's this road the magic ro- magic Oh, no, you didn't. No, you did not bring magic up into my home. And that's exactly what happened. My mom leaned down, and she said, guys, we're going. And I'm like, no, no, no. Surely not. Surely not. So I look back at my mom, and I'm like, no. She looks back, yes. I'm like, I don't even care if there's Beauty and the Beast. I'm so looking forward to this. It might, it, it might as well have been Braveheart for me. I'm just like, a movie? In a theater? This is like vacation. This is amazing. She's like, get up. All five of us kids, this is no lie, all five of us kids, my mom and dad, seven of us, stand up in the theater, and we all walked out. 
And I'm like, y'all are crazy. You homeschool me. You embarrass me in front of the entire theater. Like, this is not right. This is not right. You know what was interesting about my mom and dad is that they took the second half of this scripture really seriously. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Do you know what I find most families doing? Let's see if you can do right in the midst of all this. And we're just going to throw you in the deep end and just hope to God that you survive. And if you don't, then, well, some make it, some don't. Instead of understanding that we have complete control over the home that we create. This, I'm, not, I'm not saying that your, your children will always respond the way that you want them to respond. I am saying that you have a responsibility to create an atmosphere and in your home that says exactly what this scripture says, that we are going to flee from what is evil and we're going to run towards what is good. It is the same context of Paul later when he talks about, I am forgetting what is behind and I'm straining towards what is ahead. I'm going to leave what is evil and I'm going to cling to what is good. When you're creating your home, you have got to have standards in your home that says we will not do this. We will not go there. We will not bend the rules on this, and we're going to cling to this. It's not just don't do this. It is don't do this, we're doing this. It is a remove and replace. It is not just remove. Removing doesn't work. Stop thinking about, you ever heard about this? Stop thinking about a pink elephant. Everyone's like, I'm thinking about it. Oh, no, stop, stop, stop. And it gets worse because you have to replace the thought with a more prevalent thought or a more superior thought. It is remove and replace. I'm, I'm telling you, I believe God's going to do something this morning in, in this service because God wants your home to prosper. God wants your home to be a, a home that is full of the power and the presence of God. God wants, no matter how far you're gone, no, no matter how bad your family looks right now, blended, mended, or extended, no matter where you've been, God has a plan for your family. And if that, that plan is good. And in this passage, in Romans chapter 12, is hidden the building blocks of your home. This, when Paul preached this and when Paul wrote this, it was to an entire body. It was to the body of Christ, to the family of believers. But for the sake of this series, I want you to hone in on these things totally focused on the family. I divided the groups of scriptures up into about three different sections. And, and the first one, I, I can just, you can just pull from it. It be devoted to one another in love. Listen to what it says in this group of scriptures. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Do you, do you hear what this is saying? It says that not that you are less than. It is that everyone that you come in contact with, you have the respect to say that you deserve something from me. Because most of the times, we gauge if someone's worthy or not. Well, did you know you feel confident when you feel better than others? or prettier than others, or bigger than others, or more wealthier than others. That helps us feel different ways. But this scripture starts to dismantle that, and it says, make sure that you honor one another above yourself. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This tells me that to create the home that I want to have, I have got to keep my spiritual fire hot. I've got to keep it burning. I've got to keep it stoked. I've got to make sure that my home is an atmosphere and an environment that is running after God. So some of you say, well, I'm in a family that doesn't even believe in God. You make sure you're burning. 
and you keep that zeal hot. You keep that passion, the fire in your own heart hot. And then he tells us how we can do this. It says this. Go go ahead and go to the next verse. It says, be joyful in hope. Verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. This gives us a recipe on how you can keep your spiritual fervor burning. It says, be joyful in hope. Don't just, oh, I'm just hope. No, be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Verse 13, it says, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Let me just take this home for you into your actual family. Share with each other. Minister to each other's needs. Practice hospitality to one another. Practice your children sharing with each other, serving each other. I remember, I think it was last year, uh, we took the boys to the L.A. Dream Center that the trip is going to. And, and uh, Jamie was saying, I, I want to get them on the mission field early. I want to get them out. I'm like, man, they're pretty young. And she's I want to get. And I remember we took them to the L.A. Dream Center, and, and uh, he brought two of his favorite cars. And so we brought them out there, and Jamie was teaching him how to be generous. And she said, you're going to give your car away to this little kid. And he's playing with this little kid. And he's so cute. And, and uh, he gave his second favorite car. He's in work in progress. He gave his second favorite car away to this boy. And it was just, what she's doing is creating a home. She, she's saying that we're going to, this, this, this kid is no less than you. And you're going to give what you have because you're blessed and you have a lot. And so you're going to give what you have to someone else. See, you got to start right now bringing principles into practice for what you want your home to be. You could use your Romans 12 as the diagram for your own family. You could use Romans 12 as the building blocks of what you want to be, speaking the truth, spiritual fervor, and sharing your life. The second thing that I pull in the second group of scriptures is this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Just look at this, verse 14. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Did you know that the the scripture, when it's saying this, it is telling you, and really the context of this, is that you need to live a life that is forgiving. That you need to forgive others. That you need to refuse to be offended. Best thing that could ever happen in church life is people refuse to be offended. I mean, it just like, it would be amazing. My job would get like 900 times easier. I mean, I'd just be like, I'd be floating up here every Sunday. Just like, man, God is good. But, But the truth is, people get offended. People get offended, and, and, and it's hard to get offended because then people don't forgive you, and, and then there's, there's conflict and there's trial. Did you know that this scripture is saying when people persecute you, when they dishonor you, when they treat you badly, bless them. Verse 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. If you want to create a home, then learn to celebrate when other people are celebrating and learn to weep when other people are weeping. I don't know what his problem is. He's just in a bad mood. Well, how, how can you help him? How can you come along? That's what the family does. The family is about loyalty. The family is about standing together. And you know what? We can say these things because we taught, we, we heard them from our grandparents. But the way that it happened for our grandparents is they taught them. We think that these principles are just going to naturally. Man, my family is just disrespectful. I don't know. Grandpa's family always was. They taught them. They they created the home that they, see, we are in this cultural acceptance of just like, let them find their path. Everybody find their own way. Find yourself. God bless you. You're walking over a cliff. You're going to learn. That's how, that's how we parent now. 
Oh, well, I want to make, let them make their own choices. They want to go to that club. Let them go. That's how we're going to learn. Are you kidding me? We have lost sight. You got quiet in here. We're like, whoa, are we okay? We've lost sight that this is what we create. This is what we build. You've got to instill principle. You have to instill standard. You have to instill honor. You have to instill respect. You have to teach that. And you have to model that. It says in verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be Conceited. Do you know what I think this is saying? I'm, I think that this is saying to, in order to live in harmony with one another, we have to own up to our own wrongs, and we have to forgive, and we have to ask for forgiveness. See, most people can never even apologize. There's people in this room that you, uh, you, you, you apologize when you walk in the door. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm here. That's how you live. There's some people that, like, you could trip somebody, they could fall down and break their leg, and you'd be like, well, you should have seen my leg. Because we can't, I'm just going to tell you, the, the love that is demonstrated in the scriptures is a love that can say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And there's another side to apology, and it's called forgiveness. Not only am I sorry that I did specifically this with no explanation and with no defense, but also, will you forgive me? What that does is it places the responsibility in their hands to then decide to make restitution or not. But whether they do or not, you have offered peace. And this is why the scripture says, as far as it depends on you, you got to be responsible for you. You're the only problem that you can solve. We've been saying this for a month now, is that you are the only problem that you have the power to solve. Unforgiveness, we say this about unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Because forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. Forgiveness is not so they can be better. They, they, some, a lot of them don't even know you're offended. I'm not going to forgive my dad. I'm not. He does not even know you're offended. And honestly, I've talked to so many people about this, specifically with parents. They do not know. Well, I'm going to hold this. The only thing you're doing is killing you. The best thing that you could do is let that thing go. and stay. Well, You don't know what they did. Honor them. No matter what, let it go. Let, this, the scripture says this. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not be proud. You know what keeps you from unforgiveness or from forgiveness? Pride. That's, that's what does it. Well, I was right. I'm, I'm going to be real transparent with you. Last night, Jamie brought something up to me she, that I had said something and I hurt her feelings. And I, the first, I'm telling you, I'm just being honest with you. First thing I did was build my case. This happened last night. I'm like, well, the reason that I said that was that you had the, you hear what just happened? Only thing, and she told me this last, later last night as we made things right. She said, all I need you to do is understand without the explanation. But I want to build the case. You know why? Because I have pride in my life. That's why. 
I'm proud. At the end of the day, that is it. Why do I have to be, well, I want her to think good about me. I want, her, I want her to know that my heart was right. It's pride. You can dress up pride all you want. It's still pride. And so we had to have that, we had the conversation last night. And I'm like, I knew what I was preaching today. I'm like, oh. Do not be conceited. The last one, this group of scriptures, it says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, this is heavy. And let me give it to you, the whole scripture. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. You know what this says? This, no, there's no way you can please everyone. What this is, this is about your awareness. The people are watching you. Well, I don't want people to watch me. Guess what? We live in a world where people watch you. We live in a crazy world of social media where you can just find your picture all of a sudden showing up on, on things. And, and, and it's like, wait, what, what happened here? How did that get out? People have picked cameras everywhere. They're watching everywhere. Well, people shouldn't watch you. I'm just going to tell you, the Bible teaches that you're supposed to be a light. And then the picture of the light is that people would look at the light. So in order to be right in front of everyone, you just have to beware of someone. Be aware of someone. That wherever you go, that you're an example of what Christ's light should look like. So before you have a yelling match in public or before you throw something out your window at your neighbor's house or before you, before you lose it, you just need to be aware that people are watching your example. Well, I don't got to put on for anybody. No, but the way you act could lead them to Christ or it could push them away. It says in verse 18, if it is possible as far as it, this is what we touched on, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. The, this scripture is, is interesting. Most people think, yeah, I like that, burning coals on their head. It's like, we like that, right? It's like, the enemy, let's get him, God. The, the, the picture of that is actually that the burning coals, most theologians believe, would represent like shame that's on their head because they know that they've wronged you, and when you give them peace instead of a fight, it would be like shame on their head. We're not trying to shame others, but that is what happens when you give kindness where a fight is expected. This is not just true of the body of Christ. This is true of your families and your homes. So you've got to give selflessly. Be devoted. Be forgiving. And be selfless. Well, how do I have the home that I want, Pastor? I, I've, we've got a mess. I don't know what to do. This is how you do it. Is you start with Romans chapter 12, and you start looking at this as the building blocks of your home, and you start measuring yourself up against those things and asking, how am I doing in this area? How am I doing loving like this? How am I doing with all of these things that Paul says? How am I doing with not taking revenge? Well, pastor, he needs to pay for what he did. You know what the Bible says? It says, leave room for God's wrath. The problem is we want to see it happen ourselves. We want to see them suffer for what they did to us. You know what? 
Paul says, let him go. Let him go. Well, I don't know. Listen, you can either take cultural acceptance or you can take biblical understanding. It's up to you. But the Bible says to let it go. Now, I'll prove this to you as we close with this this story that has just blown my mind for years. It's the story of the prodigal son. And we always talk about in Luke chapter 15 of this prodigal son who he spent his father's inheritance and uh, he ran back to his dad after he was, he was empty-handed and he ran back to his dad to repent. And so we always talk about this as the father, God, welcoming us back, which is true. And there's so much to that. But what I want to draw in our conclusion is actual fathers, and actual sons. Because I'm going to tell you what happens in, in the story. I'll actually read it to you. The, the account of him coming back in 15 verse 20. It says, So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. Now I want you to leave that up on the screen. Don't take it off. <clears throat> this is how he responded when his rebellious son came home. Now, I would say 99% of the dads in here, if our son went out and acted a fool and came rolling back up into our house, we'd have a thing or two different to say than that. We could give him 500 reasons why leaving early was the wrong choice. It's not what he needs. He came back. Excuse my name calling here, but he came back, idiot. Like, do you want him to run again? God bless you. I love you. I'm just, I'm help, I'm, I want to help you for a second, okay? Like, don't, don't throw anything at me. Because this is this, what God, what Jesus, when he told the story, what he demonstrated in the Father's love for us is actually in reality what a family should look like as well. And this is what the Father did. He didn't give him a lecture of why he left. He didn't give him a lecture on what he spent. He didn't give him a lecture on why it would have been better if he would have waited. None of that. It says he ran to him full of compassion and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. You know what he didn't do? He didn't stand there and say, told you. You could, we could preach an entire relationship series on this passage right here. Because we want people to get it when they mess up and like, oh yeah, we'll just wait, just wait. And they come back and like, told you so. Sometimes I want to do that with interns. I tell them, I tell them, I tell them for nine months and then they go and they come back and like, uh, and I'm like, what did I tell you? I tried to tell you this. But you know what the example Jesus said? Oh, I'm so glad you figured it out. Come here. I love you. I love you. Full of compassion. You know what your kid might need? One less lecture. And one more run. And embrace. Now I'm going to tell you this. This goes against everything how I'm wired. My personality. I'm a rules guy. I'm a standards guy. I'm a, I'm a black and white guy. I, I'm like... But this is what the Bible says. It says when they came back, he, the, the, father, the father ran. Well, the son, he should come back. He should come back to me. You know, why don't you just use this example for your marriage? He came back or she came back. Well, now they should tell me how what they did was wrong and how they. No. The love that is sincere runs. It kisses. It hugs. Brings in close, and the heart that is exhibited is one of compassion. 
I know this is heavy because this flies in the face of our own experiences and things that we've done and how we've done things. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or, or trying to make anything too heavy, but I do want you just to capture this and catch this. This is the heart of the Father towards us, and this is how we receive forgiveness. And then the Bible says with that same forgiveness that you have received, now give that forgiveness. Give forgiveness. Does that mean you don't have standards? No, it does not at all. Does it mean you don't have rules in your home? No, not at all. It just means before your lecture, before your rules, let there be love. Because discipline that comes out of love is great discipline. That's the way the Father disciplines us. Hebrews chapter 12, it says a father disciplines those he loves. Love is the foundation. It is the building block. Love must be sincere. And if love is sincere, then the discipline that comes from that love will be effective. But if it is just discipline, it's the military. If it's love, if it's love, it's called family. I don't want someone to submit because of the rule. I want them to submit because of relationship which is what Jesus did when he abolished the law and the prophets and he came and brought grace into the picture. He said, I'm going to let you obey now out of relationship. I'm going to let you obey out of love. Before, you couldn't even be right with God unless you did everything right. And some of us, that's how we run our homes. And that law-filled tendency is going to rob you of the very thing that you want. You've got to extend grace. Grace doesn't mean you're light on the rules, but there's that means that everything that you do is coded in love. If you got to take two days to discipline before you discipline, take two days. But make sure when you discipline, it is in love, not reactionary, not out of frustration. It is. Did you know that there's sometimes where I don't preach certain messages because I have a standard personal conviction that I do not preach out of frustration. You, sometimes you just, you want to, oh, I'm going to cover that thing. That, that's, that is a complete dis, misuse of the pulpit that God has in this house. So there are times that I can't preach a message until God works it in me to come out of a place of love. Parenting, marriage is the same way. There are some times that you've got to work it out in yourself to make sure that it comes from a place of love. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.